Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we've got a review of our vintage berry long cake with ginger crumb, and we'll be introducing a fun twist on a well-known sweet corny snack, caramel corn. We'll also run down an indulgent list of sweets that can pull double duty if you need to grab one first thing in the morning. Brownies for breakfast? We're in. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, it is the second week of our completely corny month of June. Yes. And I wanted to give an update. I had done Globetrotting Gourmet for our recent trip to India back in episode 125. Oh, right. I admit I was holding back from you. I have a corn-related India update. Oh, my gosh. Tell me more. Well, one of the fun things we did when we were in the city of Jaipur is we went to see a Bollywood movie. Now, if you're not familiar with these, they are over the top singing and dancing and they usually follow some kind of love triangle and it's all very, very dramatic. Oh, yeah. The movie we watched was called Kalank and it had all of those elements and a bullfight. Oh, wow. (laughs) Very exciting. Very, very exciting. We had an absolute blast. But the thing that surprised us most, Andrea, we were in this magnificent Art Deco movie theater. And the Indians take their their movies so very seriously. Mm -hmm. Absolutely beautiful venue. And the popcorn was to die for. Oh, is it like we do? Like with the, the butter all over it and fresh popped and hot? Absolutely. And it might surprise you to know that movie theater popcorn here in England is not the best. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And so it's one thing we've been really missing, that fresh popped popcorn with the butter. And so we're standing in line at the concessions and we're getting very excited. And I look to my left and there's a tiny stand and it's just selling a cup of hot buttered corn kernels. Oh. (laughs) Just the kernels to eat? Not like popcorn kernels, but like corn niblets. Oh, like corn Mm. nuts, like you buy in the packaged snack section? No. (laughs) I'm so baffled. (laughs) So was I. No, just like your Jolly Green Giant can of corn. Oh, and -hmm. they were hot. They were hot and they were so popular. People would go, especially with like younger kids, they would go and it was very inexpensive and you would just get a hot steaming cup of corn niblets. Oh, my husband would have been in heaven. Another destination for him. Wow. Mm-hmm. My gosh. Now, the movie, was it subtitled? You know, it wasn't, but it really didn't matter. Everything was so emotional and over the top that we could follow along. And the other really fascinating thing about seeing a movie in India is the audience participation. So everyone is booing the villain and, you know, kind of swooning when the love interests take the screen. Oh, and yeah. it was hilarious. We had the best time. And I think just the years of your romantic comedy research probably came in handy that you knew what to expect. You knew the typical arc of the story. So that was probably really helpful. 
Yeah, so that was called Kalank, and I think it's on Netflix here in the UK now, and that does vary a little bit from Netflix in the US sometimes, but if you see it and want to have a great movie, then um, take a look. Yeah, make sure you serve yourself some corn on the side. With some corn niblets, hot corn niblets on the side. Mm -hmm. I also had a great experience with some corn recently, and (laughs) of course, it's just rolling out in all of our grocery stores. You can't get away from it. I love it. Yeah, every entrance you walk in, there's, you know, corn on your left and on your right. And a couple of weeks ago, I had had dinner at a Mexican restaurant, and I ordered the chili rellenos, which I normally Mm -hmm. never order because in my experience, it's usually that poblano pepper is deep fried Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know not that there's anything wrong with deep frying that's not what I typically get at a restaurant so that's like my number one reason I ordered yeah (laughs) well (laughs) so I was looking at the menu and my friend mentioned that I was with she said oh the chili relleno here just so you know it's not deep fried and I she must Mm -hmm. be on on your team like she was stating it as a disappointment I said Mm -hmm. oh then I'm gonna try it and so it was stuffed with shrimp and mushrooms and cheese and it was fabulous so yum in my head I thought okay I have never cooked with poblano chilies at home yeah I've used all other types of chilies but for some reason that one has escaped my radar and so I just sort of tucked that away in a corner of my brain and then I was walking through the grocery store and I was walking by these aisles of corn and I suddenly thought (laughs) to myself I must roast corn and poblanos and make a chowder And so it's like a lightning bolt moment. That's what I bought at the grocery store. I went home. I fired up my big green egg. I roasted the peppers. I roasted the corn. I did not even follow a recipe. I just, you know, fried up some bacon first (laughs) because why not? Andrea, you're making me hungry. You know we record at my dinner time. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And then I put in some onion, some carrot, and some celery. Then I put those roasted poblano peppers in there. And then I added the corn and I just let that cook down a little bit my husband makes our own chicken stock and that's fabulous I added that to the dish of course you could use a vegetable stock and I tossed in uh, toward the end just a touch of half and half and some really sharp cheddar and of course some spices and oh my gosh it was so good I really encourage you to write this down. Just even like jot it down what the ingredients were, you know, because you're going to come a time you're going to say that soup was so great and then you're going to have forgotten. So while it's still fresh in your mind, just like, you know, just the basic outline. See, this is how we're so different. My husband and my daughter loved it and they said, oh my gosh, you've got to make this again. I said, nope, this was a one-time thing. I didn't use a recipe. I didn't write it down and um, I hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) Wow. Appearing one night only, Andrea's poblano corn chowder. (laughs) I know. But I am enjoying corn in all things. So let's just go ahead and see where else we're using corn at our dinner table or our dessert table more appropriately. Yeah, or our breakfast table, right? That's one thing that appealed to us about this cake, which was our first bake-along of Corny Month, and that was the very long cake with ginger crumb from Julie Richardson. It was reprinted on Oprah.com, but actually comes from Julie's cookbook called Vintage Cakes. And this cake was inspired or first appeared in a Betty Crocker ad, she reports, in 1945. Has layers of kind of a vanilla-ish cake, sugared fruit and then a crumb topping similar to something you might find on a crumble topped pie and she does there say right in the intro notes equally delicious for dessert or breakfast andrea i had had some experience with a cake 
from that cookbook because when you visited in London, I made one of her rhubarb cakes. Oh, yes. That was good. So let's hear it. How did this first corny dessert work out for you? I want to start by explaining my pan choice now. Oh, crucial. Okay. Yeah, please. Last week in episode 127, I asked you why it was called a long cake. And you said, uh, you know, it was in opposition to a short cake, like a strawberry shortcake, and that the berries go a long way for a small amount of ingredients. Okay. Another reason that I saw when I was poking around what's the definition of a long cake, a lot of people said it's similar to a sheet cake, and they call it that because you make it in a long pan as opposed to a square pan or a short pan. Okay. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay. Meanwhile, in the background, you know last November I purged my pantry. One other thing on my list has been to completely empty my refrigerator, clean it out, and then refill it. And okay. we did that a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday. It was my husband and I. Oh, gosh, we, so exciting. We're just such dorks. It was like the most fun <laughs> we had all weekend. So did you then, like, you know, you throw out the ketchup and you get a fresh mm-hmm. ketchup. Was it that extreme? It wasn't like we were throwing out things just for the sake of throwing out. But yes, if we looked at the ketchup and we were like, you know, this has not been used for six months. We're going to get rid of it. Uh, we certainly got rid of some things kind of in the condiment area that didn't need to be there yeah. anymore. Yeah. It was more about lifting out all of the shelves and the drawers and wiping everything down. There was a startling amount of dog hair in the refrigerator. I don't know Mm. how that happened. It was very disturbing. We had a lot of conversation about that. But one thing that we realized is we eat a ton of fruit. And we tend, yeah. to, tend to buy it in those heavy, hard plastic containers that have slits in them. If you get it at the farmer's market, it comes in those cute little green paper. Are, are yeah. those called some? Like pint baskets? Pint baskets. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm going to call it. Either way, both of the containers leak. And so we had, I'm sure, berry leakage uh, all over our fridge. As oh. we were putting away the clean shelves and starting to restack our things in the fridge, my husband said to me, now, Andrea, I know you don't like rules, but I would like to suggest that we have a guideline that we don't place the fruit baskets just right onto the shelf anymore. That from this point forward, we always put down like a sheet pan or something with sides so that if there's leakage, it could contain it. And I thought that was a reasonable, yeah, yeah reasonable suggestion. And so I agreed to do that. Okay, fast forward now. I'm about to make my berry long cake. I go to find my sheet pans. I can't find Mm. any of them. I go to find my 13 by 9 pan. I can't find them. I go to find my 8 by 8 pan. I can't find them. I'm like, what the heck is going on? I open my refrigerator and my (laughs) sweet husband has taken his guideline to the nth degree and nothing in our refrigerator is actually on the shelf. Everything- It's all sitting within one of these pans. Is within one of my pans. So I just- (laughs) I took a deep breath. I closed the fridge door slowly, and I thought, I have 8 billion pie pans. I'm just going to use one of my pretty pie pans and use it to make this very long cake. So listeners, when you see my photos, you're going to think, didn't Andrea know this was a cake and not a pie? And the answer is, yes, I did. But I made it in a pie pan, and guess what? It turned out just great. So no worries. Also, my pie pan choice influenced my berry decision because I used my dark cherry red deep dish pie pan, and so I decided to use red fruit. And I used half strawberries and half raspberries. I did use the fresh, not the frozen. 
I use the vanilla sugar that I mentioned on last week's episode that I was going yep. to use. And then I used um, two tablespoons of the brandy. I did think about pulling out that cherry cordial, but I also had some brandy. And I kind of thought the brandy with the – since I wasn't using cherries, I kind of thought the brandy with the strawberries and the raspberries might be a good combo. So – I mixed that fruit topping together. That came together quite easily. It smelled great. It tasted great. The topping was easy as well. That was the brown sugar, the flour, the candied ginger, and the butter. And I just kind of, you know, rubbed that together with my fingers. It made sort of your typical topping. It was interesting that she has you pop that into the freezer while you're waiting. I think um, maybe just to make it firm, do you think? I do. And I think that is similar to instructions we've had with a pie crumble topping. Just so it's not warming up to room temperature. You know, some of the butter instructions here were a little bit vague, though, Andrea. In the topping, of course, she says that that butter should be at room temperature. Mm -hmm. And you know what I ended up using to cut everything in was my pastry blender. Yeah. So just doing that. Got a little bit sticky on that ginger, but nothing I couldn't work around. Yeah, I think I used my – she says using either your fingertips or a fork, and I think I used both. Um, But, yeah, it, it, it required a little effort in that topping part. I actually didn't follow her instructions, shocker, in the cake section because she says, uh, you know, first combine all your dry ingredients, your flour, your cornmeal, your sugar, your baking powder, your ginger, and your salt. Um, I had mentioned last week I made my fine cornmeal just by taking my coarse cornmeal or my polenta and popping it into the blender for maybe 20 seconds, and that worked really well. And then her instructions say, add the butter and using your fingertips, work it completely into the dry ingredients. Well, I decided that was because this was from a recipe from 1945 before they had a stand mixer. And I used my stand mixer. Vintage. (laughs) Well, this was a vague, this was another vague area, I thought, because everywhere else she specified the the temperature but here under the cake she just says six tablespoons unsalted butter cut into small cubes so I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be cold or room temperature there how what was the temp of your butter my butter since I decided to do it in my mixer I did go ahead and let it get to room temperature and I did cold Andrea I know we have made something or we've had chatter about it on Facebook it is an old-fashioned way to do a cake where you put in the cold cubes of butter Mm -hmm. and when we did it and we thought there's no way this is going to work and yet it did but I can't remember what recipe that was. My strongest memory of cold cubes of butter was the lemon elderflower cake. It must have been that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Must have been that. And then I remember when we were going out to the Facebook community, they were saying, no, this is actually a a very recognized way of doing the cake but I'd always, you know, cream the room temperature butter with the sugar. So I went back to that vintage kind of feeling and Mm -hmm. I threw my cold butter in. And that may not have been the right decision as we'll see in a moment. Like I said, I used my mixer. So I had the dry ingredients. I added the butter. I used the paddle attachment. I mixed it for probably two to three minutes until it was combined. And then I had whisked together the eggs and the milk and I stirred them into the batter. That just took a minute, you know, to combine that. And then I spread that batter into my buttered pie pan. Now, of course, I had extra ingredients because pie pan is not as big as the size pan that she recommends. So I also went ahead and made myself a little mini long cake. Oh, your favorite. (laughs) I was so excited. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I put two tablespoons of the cake batter into my little half cup mason jar. That was my little extra. And then yeah. you put the sugared berries on top of the cake. And then you put the chilled topping over the berries. And I did the same thing on my little mini. On top of the two t- tablespoons of cake batter, I put about a tablespoon of the fruit. And then I just sprinkled the topping on top. And I thought that they both looked really pretty going into the oven. It says 40 to 45 minutes at 375. Yeah. This is where things got tricky for me. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I decided that since I was in the pie pan, I probably shouldn't go as long as she stated because I had less ingredients. So I checked it at 35 minutes and I found that the cake batter was already pretty dry whoa yeah so same thing in my mini next time when I do my minis I'll invert the ratio I'll do one tablespoon of cake batter and two tablespoons of fruit batter because my mini rose up so quickly I mean by the 15 minute point it had like exploded out of the pint jar and it was done it was dry it was very definitely dry when I ended up pulling it at 35 minutes I'm having such a dynamic reaction because (laughs) What happened to you? I couldn't get this cake to bake. It was just (gasps) raw in the middle. And so some different things here. I had the nine inch square. That was no problem. She gives you the warning Mm -hmm. there that you need to test it, but don't get kind of distracted by the kind of gooey bits. So what was happening is I couldn't end up telling when the cake was done. Mm -hmm. And I kept Mm -hmm. baking it. So the edges were becoming very, very dry. But I think I pulled it after an hour, Andrea, and the middle was just still liquid oh no so I think what you did there very naturally with taking some of the ingredients away I think that actually helped you although maybe there's some kind of middle ground between you know too dry on your side and really too wet on mine that we need to find here that's fascinating so after the fact I went and I looked back at the cookbook version of this because even though I had the cookbook I'd already printed out the online version Mm -hmm. I was using that in the picture for the recipe she's using a 9 by 13 and I wonder if spreading things out would have helped more although maybe not you had said it was maybe too dry then so I did my mini for 35 minutes and I thought it was too dry I did my pie pan for 45 minutes so I pulled it at 40 and I tested it and it was still pretty not pretty wet but it still you know had some wetness clinging to the toothpick so I pulled I pulled it at 45 minutes and it was a dry crumb I mean I wasn't putting it in the spots with the melted butter so I think that in the pie pan it was maybe about I don't know an inch of cake batter yeah and I think in my nine inch I had at least a good two Mm, two inches okay two inches of cake and so I think it was just too dense I think there was just too much in this kind of small space I mean up until that point I was so excited it reminded me of the ingredients for a strawberry shortcake I mean I think we had talked about that Mm -hmm. when we introduced it I thought in the parts that did cook in my cake I thought that cornmeal did add a nice texture kind of a sandy texture I thought that worked well with the berries me too it did have a good gingery flavor but again Again, the entire middle couldn't be eaten so that is something I'm going to need to to figure out whether that's the size of the the pan or maybe just putting half of the batter in gonna have to play around with that what I found so fascinating about this you know I'm not normally a fan of trying to trick people and you know give them something where they think oh I'm eating this but you're actually eating that right but it In this case, it was really fun because everyone thought they were eating a pie. And then they got a slice of cake. Oh. They appeared overall to just be quite delighted. I mean, (laughs) 
you know, it wasn't like there were pie haters or anything. They were just like, oh, I thought this was a pie, but it right. was cake. Yes. You know, so that yes. was kind of fun. Yeah, that berry crumble, everything like that. So, mm-hmm. so listeners, if you try this one and have – you know, Andrea's reaction, my reaction, or something completely different if you've made this in the past with great success, we'd really love to know about it because flavor-wise, I think this cake worked. I need to figure out what happened to me on the texture. Yeah, definitely. Coming up next week, we've got something new we can test out, and that is some homemade caramel popcorn. It is called Zebra Popcorn, (laughs) and it comes from the website The Spruce Eats. And it is homemade caramel corn drizzled with melted white and dark chocolate. And it says it's a fabulous snack and perfect for watching football games in person or on the big screen. And it's also a wonderful holiday gift. So, Stefan, we have made homemade caramel corn or some version of that before. And, you know, from the very first episode, loyal listener Antone has been urging us to do popcorn balls. So I hope this will hold him over until we can get to the actual popcorn ball. But we have. And this just seems – this is a recipe you and I discovered when we were together in London it seems yeah. kind of kind of so over the top caramel corn on steroids and I'm really excited about this one I've had mixed results with homemade caramel as you guys know so I'm going to be really packing my patience and taking my time with that part of it yeah I'm pretty excited about it too my only experience with sort of making the homemade snack mixes like this was way back in season one. I think it was episode seven where we made some homemade snack mixes. Yes. And I am a little bit intimidated by the first ingredient, which is 15 cups of (laughs) popped corn. That sounds like a lot of work to me. Yeah, I think it's one of those things because the kernels don't fit into the cup so many. I think it's less than you actually think it is. Okay. Also, Andrea, we don't have an air popper here. We make popcorn for snacking just on the stove like an oil pop. But I'm hesitant to do that here because I don't think oil is what you want. I think that will not make the caramel want to stick. So I'm just going to buy some bags of pre-popped, lightly salted, but not buttered popcorn for mine. Saves me a step as well. And I noticed in the recipe headnotes, she says, just make sure if you buy pre-popped corn, it has as few ingredients as possible. Yes. So I also think I'll be saving myself a step and um, seeking that out. I don't typically buy pre-popped popcorn, but I think this is a good definitely a good time to try it. The other ingredients are just some salt, a cup of butter or two sticks of butter, two cups of brown sugar, some light corn syrup, some baking soda, and then the white chocolate chips and the dark chocolate chips. And remember, whenever you are making caramel, you are working with boiling sugar. So please, you know, tie your hair back, cover your arms, wear your apron, get small kids out from underfoot, and really pay attention. When you're making caramel, make your caramel. And make sure in step two, it does say to use a large saucepan. I would add the warning with high sides because as it bubbles up, and especially when you add that baking soda, you can get it to really foam up. So you want nice high sides on that saucepan. Yeah, so once you have your caramel ready, you're pouring that over, but then you're taking the additional step of baking this for about an hour, checking it and stirring about every 15 minutes, and I believe that's going to let the caramel set and crisp up. Andrea, I'm not going to any football games in the near future, but this sounds like a great snack. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, I don't need a football game as as an excuse to have this one. No, perhaps I'll just pop a Bollywood movie into the... (laughs) 
<laughs> TV and Absolutely. Watch it. You got it. Well, remember, we'll have a link to these recipes in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 128. And it'll be on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook listeners group. Andrea, it cannot be denied that you and I are both fans of dessert for breakfast. Yep. Aside from sweeter, more traditional breakfast treats like our chocolate babka buns in episode 117, Yukon Gold Potato Cinnamon Rolls in episode 107, and even our Quan Min in episode 22, we've admitted to loving desserts like rice pudding, tapioca, and even biscotti for breakfast. In fact, you recently mentioned a no-bake bread pudding you thought would be perfect in the morning, which inspired this mini-segment we're cheerfully calling Brownies for Breakfast. Yeah, I think the line between dessert and breakfast is very thin to non-existent. <laughs> In fact, I recently saw that waffle cakes are the next big dessert trend, which seems to me to be a perfectly acceptable way of introducing breakfast at dessert time. (laughs) So why not introduce dessert at breakfast time? Although I don't necessarily want a big slice of chocolate cake in the morning. You don't? A big slice of cold chocolate cake? (laughs) (laughs) But there are several sweeter breakfast bakes that straddle that line just perfectly. So whether for a more special occasion, because it's summer and you've got kiddos in the kitchen, or you've just got a sweet tooth in the morning, no judgment, here are some you may not have considered for the most important meal of the day. Speaking of our namesake treat, I ran across a delightful article recently on the Huffington Post called... 12 brownies that are totally okay to eat for breakfast. So clearly, we're not the only ones looking for some justification. It had a list of brownie-flavored breakfasts, everything from brownie pancakes to double chocolate brownie waffles to brownie protein donuts. But what they all had in common was a little touch of healthy. So think whole wheat flour, protein powder, nut butters. And I think in general what makes me more comfortable serving sweets at breakfast is that they're a little bit healthier than something I might serve as outright dessert. So using a heartier, higher fiber, higher protein flour, adding nuts and seeds, even using some beans or fruits like avocado that we experimented with back in Eat Your Veggies Month last January. I'm not necessarily a fan of fooling my children into eating something healthier. Well, not all the time. But my favorite brownie for breakfast recipe on the Huffington Post's list was from blogger Monique at Ambitious Kitchen. It was called Double Chocolate Banana Bread Oat Bars. They were gluten-free, used maple syrup as a natural sweetener, and had a little bit of that fruit. I think this may be the one I try this summer or inspires my own variation. Oh yeah, that one sounds like it would be a very big hit in my house too. But moving beyond brownies, we also like breakfast casseroles. They're easy, they can be done in advance, and they feed a house full. One that caught my eye recently was a strawberry coconut breakfast casserole from Canadian blogger Simply Stacy. She used croissants as the base. I'm not sure this meets my healthier criteria, but since local strawberries are in season right now, it does sound like a really nice seasonal splurge. Another seasonal French toast bake that caught my eye, Andrea, from the blog Chew Out Loud, Blueberry Lemon French Toast Bake. In addition to those blueberries, it features my beloved lemon curd. Stefan, that reminds me. I know you're a fan of scones, but are you also a fan of the Girl Scout cookies called Samoa's? They had the coconut, the chocolate, the caramel. Oh, yes. I know them well. (laughs) I've missed Girl Scout cookies living here in England. Well, you might want to scratch that itch with the Samoa scones from Food Network Canada's website. Again, we're back to using healthier flour, natural sweeteners, and even some Greek yogurt. But these definitely still fall in the decadent category. 
and I was intrigued with another entry on that same website called Maple Fried Oatmeal Squares. Think a soft, oversized oatmeal cookie, fried up like French toast, then topped with vanilla cream. (laughs) Yum. Mm. Of course, you can always serve up standbys like banana bread, chocolate overnight oats, pumpkin muffins, and even zucchini cake for a sweet and easy breakfast. And speaking of a sweet and easy breakfast, Stefan, we recently got a great couple of photos from our listener, Jamee, who sent us her family favorite, the streusel banana bread. We love getting photos and emails and feedback from all of our listeners, especially when they are 12 years old like Jamee. Jamee, you seem like you are off to a great start in the baking world, and we're so happy you're a preheater. Don't forget our lemon spinach donuts from episode 108. Those are ideal for the first meal of the day. But also, how about our slow cooker rice pudding from back in episode 20? It's not too sweet, it's make-ahead, and it was a real winner with both of us. Especially if you serve it with a side of fresh fruit, I think that would be a lovely way to start the day. That brings me back to a fundamental of serving dessert for breakfast. Sometimes your leftovers from the night before make the best breakfast of all. My April Blue Ribbon winner, Nigel Slater's Seed Cake from episode 120, would be delicious toasted up in the morning. Oh, likewise, our figgy pudding from episode 105.5 hit all the right notes when I rewarmed it for breakfast the next day. I mean, you're an adult, and one of the absolute pleasures of adulthood has got to be eating a piece of pie, a slice of cake, a scoop of bread pudding, or yes, even a brownie, whenever you want to. Listeners, let us know what sweeter treats you love to indulge in at breakfast time. Drop us an email at host at preheatedpodcast.com or let us know in our Facebook group, Preheated. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week we'll see how our new twist on caramel corn popped up and introduce an ice cream that relies on this month's star ingredient as well as a favorite summertime fruit. And we'll take a peek into the kitchens of our mothers and grandmothers to see how ingredients and techniques have changed, or not, in the last 50 years. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.